Welcome to the Truth Expedition. I am your host, Mark Bashavsky, and you have tuned into the program where we dig for truth in this clown show of a world where the fact checkers lie and the government and the media propagandize you and me, the citizens of this amazing world. Once again, as always, joined by co-host Gunnar Ballstead. How are you doing, Gunnar? Doing great today. We are so honored and thrilled to be Inviting Mr. Richard Gage to our show today, we are going to be talking about the physics of 9-11 and presenting the evidence of what happened that day. Yeah, excellent. So those that have tuned into this program, you know, we've kind of looked at the whodunit. Uh, we've James Corbett, Ryan Dawson, uh, Captain Dan Hanley. But today, I, I'm, I've not been so excited about an interview yet thus far. So this is amazing. Please welcome San Francisco Bay Area architect Richard Gage. AIA, member of the American Institute of Architects and founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He, along with his courageous wife, Gail, continue to lead the charge towards a real investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. You can follow Richard's work at richardgage911.org. So that's Gage, G-A-G-E, richardgage911.org. Thank you so much, Mr. Gage, for joining us on the Truth Expedition. It is my pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, the opportunity to be here with you and to get this information out to a lot uh, of folks that are new to the to it uh that's uh that's going to be pretty exciting to yeah then so some new people will be introduced to this what i believe is irrefutable evidence so without further ado i will save you know more of the questions for later for the you know for just so you know audience um we're going to allow richard to give his presentation because it's it's thorough and uh doesn't miss a beat so you go ahead and, and share your screen richard and let's get right to it Oh, you got it. I'm, I'm all about that <laughs> because um, there's just so much to, to share. And we don't want your audience to be anyone to be the last to know about this incredible information that's new to a lot of people. Uh, in fact, we're going to be talking about World Trade Center 7 uh, today. And, and, and people don't even know about the third tower that came down on, and that was on 9-11. It's, uh, I'm a member of the American, one of 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects. And we have not um, gotten one bulletin on this, the third worst structural failure in modern history. Uh, I go to architecture engineering conferences all around the country and and talk about uh, it and people don't even know. And we showed them, we show them this about this building, 47-story skyscraper, that uh, on the afternoon of 9-11, not being hit by a plane, it drops anyway. Uh, about seven hours after the Twin Towers dropped. They were the tallest buildings in the world at the time, uh, Mike. And and yet, um, uh, the, the Building 7, and that's why Building 7 was obscured. Uh, half the height of the Twin Towers, but easily the tallest building in most of our states. Right. So, so we gotta um, we gotta find out what happened there. And you know, it's about a football field in the length away from the North Tower. And here it is standing just fine after after the Twin Towers or as the Twin Towers are coming down. Uh, and uh, it suffered a little bit of damage. Uh, some of the beams, uh, columns from building uh, one, the North Tower, actually hit it. Uh, But this damage uh, was not a significant factor in the building's collapse, according to NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Well, let's just see what happens here at 520 in the afternoon, uh, again, seven hours after uh, the collapse of the towers the east penthouse comes down first in an isolated event six seconds earlier and then this happens uh so uh you might say well wait a minute 
I've seen that before. <laughs> well, yeah. well, we'll get yeah. into it. But what does the official narrative tell us brought this building down? What we found was that uncontrolled building fires caused an extraordinary event. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. Okay, Sham Sunder, uh, the, co- the project leader for NIST, says that. Let's look at these fires. Well, these are the worst fires that we have any photographic or evidence of in the building. And as you can see, they're few, they're small, and they're scattered throughout the building. Now, other skyscrapers, steel frame, fire-protected skyscrapers have had many fires in them. We've had dozens and dozens of much hotter, larger, and longer-lasting fires in these buildings. We haven't lost one of them. Uh, It just doesn't happen. Not before 9-11 and not after 9-11. So uh, these are fully engulfed, uh, these particular uh, buildings, and yet none of them have come down. So we wouldn't expect those fires to have brought Building 7 down either. So, uh, in fact, let's just look at it and compare. Oops. Let's compare uh, Building 7 on the left to a series of controlled demolitions on the right. Is there any similarity? It's unbelievable, Richard. Identical. Is there enough similarity to at least warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosive, especially since it looks exactly like a controlled demolition, especially since fire, the official cause of this building's collapse has never in history brought down a steel frame fire protected building ever. So, uh, yeah, we, we would expect a lot more scrutiny uh, on the part of NIST. After all, if this building can come down due to fire, then we would have uh, many, many other skyscrapers vulnerable to such a thing as well. Well, let's get into it because it turns out that it has many of the typical features of controlled demolition. Uh, What are they? We have a sudden onset of the destruction, uh, usually near the base of the structure. So um, let's see if we have that in Building 7. What you're seeing are high shots. Dan Rather. Now, here we're going to show you a videotape of the collapse itself. Describe that. Now we go to videotape the collapse of this building. It's amazing. Amazing, incredible, pick your word. For the third time today, it's reminiscent of those pictures we've all seen too much on television before when a building was delivered. Destroyed by well placed dynamite to knock it down. What? Yeah. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. <laughs> so here's Dan Rather uh, saying, destroyed by well placed dynamite to knock it down. That's what it looks like, right? We've all seen the old hotels in Las Vegas. Well, he's never repeated this statement uh, since 9 11. In fact, we've never seen this building collapsing on mainstream TV ever since 9 11. Well, there was one, possibly two. Occasion, it's like it's been swept under the rug. Should have been the most studied structural failure ever. Well, do we have a straight down symmetrical collapse into the building's footprint? Let's look at uh, from West Street angle, and yeah, pretty straight down, pretty symmetrical. Uh, how does that happen? Uh, we have to remove all of the core columns first together uh, at once, instantly within a fraction of a second of each other, followed about a second later by the perimeter columns, all at once, within a fraction of a second of each other. How does that happen by these few small scattered fires? Do they have that level of precision? You see how easy my job is, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> Gunner? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, too much, it's too easy. Let's see how fast the building's coming down. Because physics teacher David Chandler gives us a clue uh, by analyzing the freefall acceleration of the building, which NIST denied, by the way, for six years. Finally, in their final report, they admit that it came down as fr- at freefall for at least a third of its seven-second fall. Well, wh- what does that mean? A freefall as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. So no resistance. No, yeah. No resistance. 
This building had how much resistance? <laughs> 40,000 tons of structural steel in it. It's designed to keep it up for its entire lifetime of 100 years or so. So we have uh, uh, all of those call columns. Where did they go? Those core columns at, at once and the perimeter columns. Well, do we have the total dismemberment of this of the structural steel system? Yeah, a 47 stories moment resisting skyscraper. That's where many, most of the columns and beams are welded one to another very rigidly. So if it was to fall, it wouldn't fall like this, like a house of cards. It would fall like these natural collapses, in these cases, earthquakes. Right. Where you, the columns and the beams kind of stay together uh, largely. The building is certainly mangled, but they're not severed one from another. The concrete is not pulverized to a fine powder, which we'll get to. Uh, there, are there sounds of explosions heard by witnesses? I mean, that's what we expect in a controlled demolition. Indeed, uh, we have uh, Daryl, a medical student, interviewed on the New York radio that evening. We were watching the building, actually, because it was on fire. The, uh, the bottom floors of the, the building were on fire. And, uh, you know, we heard this, this sound that sounded like a clap of thunder. Turned around, we were shocked to see that the building was, uh, uh, well, it looked like there was um, a shock wave uh, ripping through the building and the windows all... Uh, busted out, and you know, it was, it was horrifying. And then, uh, you know, about a second later, the bottom floor caves out, and uh, the building followed after that. And um, we saw the building crash down all the way to the ground. Um, you know, we were in shock. And then was- that's pretty clear. How about Kevin McPadden, former Air Force medic uh, at Building Seven or near it, very near it? Um, let's see what he says. You heard explosions. It's like a distinct sound. It's not like when in compression, like boom, 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 like floors that were dropping and collapsing. This was a boom, and like you felt a rumble in the ground, like almost like you wanted to grab onto something. That, to me, I knew that was an explosion. There was no doubt in my mind. No doubt in his mind. How about this gentleman? Uh, I was standing like two blocks away, and all of a sudden I just seen a big flash, and then I seen the building coming down, and I just seen people just running everywhere, chaotic-like. Okay, a big flash, and then the building coming down. So this is very helpful. We've got many other witnesses, but we're reviewing just the highlights. Um, In an hour, we're going to... To talk about building seven here, not just that, but the twin towers as well. So we've got to fly through this information. What do the experts say? Like this one. Danny Joenko is the expert on this in Europe. What did he say? This is controlled demolition. Zeker weten. Zeker weten. Er is nasprongen. Dit is een opdracht gebeurd. Het heeft een team gedaan van experts. Well, that's pretty interesting. A team of experts did this. Uh, uh, okay. Well, how about structural engineers like Kamal Obeid, a from UC Berkeley uh, originally? Um, a localized failure in a steel frame building like World Trade Center 7 cannot cause a catastrophic collapse like a house of cards without a simultaneous and patterned loss of several of its columns at key locations within the building. Okay, that's helpful. How about one of the top forensic structural engineers in the country, Professor Leroy Halsey, who did a study of this building over the course of four years. And uh, one of the top forensic structural engineers uh, at University of Alaska in Fairbanks. Uh, And he put the building structural components into the computer. Uh, in AutoCAD, tested them with uh, Abacus and SAP 2000, very sophisticated software programs that can model what happens in a building due to fires, because there were some fires in this building, uh, and uh, as you saw. So he discovered that, my gosh, uh, it, it doesn't collapse. Uh, like the NIST um, computer model on the right, uh, it it doesn't collapse like the... Well, finally, he made it collapse. He said, oh, we got to, what if we take out all the columns in the building at once, uh, the interior followed by the exterior? Then he gets it to collapse. 
just like the video in the middle. Uh, NIST's computer model is highly flawed. It shows the building crumpling up like a beer can. It shows it beginning to tip over also. They can't even get it to reproduce what actually happened uh, in, in the World Trade Center uh, video. Uh, so the essential findings are that fire didn't cause the collapse of Building 7. The temperatures were not hot enough to cause the weakening of the steel framing. And the thermal expansion did not result in a loss of support for the beams and girders. The building didn't suffer a progressive collapse as claimed by NIST, but a global collapse caused by what? The near simultaneous failure of all of its columns. That's um, pretty damning to the NIST report. And that's why the media did not pick up this major study of this major structural failure. Again, the third worst structural failure in modern history. And to, and to reiterate, that happened the day of. It was not something that happened days afterwards. It happened the day of. And to plan something like that would take weeks. To actually execute something like that couldn't be done in a matter of hours with cameras everywhere. So the fact that it dropped like that the same day is um, very troubling. Who's going to go into a burning building anyway if they could uh, do it that fast and set charges, right? It, right. It doesn't quite work like that. You're absolutely correct. Well, now we'll that, see what else. And also, Richard, while we stopped and we heard explosions, uh, um, if we can answer this, a lot of people say, well, wouldn't gas pipes explode? Uh, you know, wouldn't there be some explosions in the building that people might hear before it collapsed? Well, um, there are a few small scattered fires, but uh, propane and gas are prohibited in class uh, uh, type one uh, fire resistive construction and high rises, which are high rises, which is what high rises are. Uh, so, no, we don't have gas in there. So, uh, and, and again, uh, it, it's a few, if, if there was gas in there, would that be able to sever? all 80 columns at once <laughs> so that the building could drop like a rock uh, falling out of the sky symmetrically. Uh, no. Uh, so we'll find out what it was because we're going to be looking for evidence of incendiaries here. Excellent. Uh, in fact, from official sources like FEMA, who in May of 2002 did their building performance assessment team report, putting it in an appendix the critical metallurgical examination of the steel from the building. What did they find? Never before observed. Eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, causing uh, a solid steel girder to turn into Swiss cheese. What can do this? The fire, normal office fires can't do this. There's no accounting for this in the official narrative whatsoever. They find rapid oxidation and sulfidation. This doesn't happen, by the way, with office fires. Liquid iron. What is that? That's molten iron. That's exceeding 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. That is three times as hot as most office fires ever get. Uh, and four or five times as hot as these office fires probably got as they were few, small, and scattered. They found sulfur forming during this hot corrosion attack on the steel. Sulfur is added to the incendiary thermite to burn much more effectively through steel. A thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter, which is why we might be having the author of this report, Jonathan Barnett, stating steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures. Well, there's a problem with this. How does steel evaporate? That requires 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit to evaporate steel. And yet steel is evaporated. So there's nothing in the official narrative or any other narrative that can account for the evaporation of the steel beams documented here by structural engineer Abelhausen Astani Ozel, who says, I saw melting of girders at the World Trade Center. Nor can official uh, normal office fires 
account for the incredible temperatures seen uh, in the, the pouring out of the debris held in the crab claw excavator, we have bright yellow and even white hot temperatures exceeding 2,500 degrees. How do we know that? Because steel and iron uh, emit um, a, a luminescence and we can tell the temperature by the color of that molten material. So all of this evidence uh, is evidence of ignited incendiaries and can really be nothing else. So we go to the dust and see if there's any ignited incendiary evidence there. And we go to the USGS, the U.S. Geological Survey. Their 2005 report, Particle Atlas of the World Trade Center dust, documents what billions of previously molten, meaning exceeding 3,000 degrees, iron, we haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years. So this is not steel. This is elemental iron, which, by the way, is the main byproduct of thermite, the incendiary used by the military. Spheres, how do they get spherical? Well, we'll find out. But up to 6% of many of these samples are composed of just that, previously molten iron microspheres. This is about four tons of evidence of ignited incendiaries in all the World Trade Center dust, documented by officials. In fact, the EPA says, hey, we don't know where these came from, but they're a signature component of the World Trade Center dust. In fact, it's used to distinguish World Trade Center dust from common office building dust. But we don't know where it came from. Well, let's do an experiment. Experiment is the arbiter of competing hypotheses. It gives us a lot of valuable information. In this case, molten iron microspheres, which comes from the incendiary thermite. How do they get round or spherical? Uh, under pressure, uh, liquids that are dispersed form themselves by surface tension into spheres. In fact, could that be what's responsible for the toasting of the tops of these cars in and around the World Trade Center? What other phenomena in the official narrative or otherwise could account for the toasting of the tops of these cars and all, the, all around the World Trade Center in this very high heat event? Nothing. So then we go, well, okay. That was evidence of ignited incendiaries. Is there any evidence of unignited incendiaries in the World Trade Center dust? Well, a team of eight international scientists led by Niels Herrett in Copenhagen documents seven altogether samples which were independently collected from these locations in and around the Trade Center. And what do they find in every one of them? Uh, these curious red-gray chips. They're red on one side, gray on another, about a sixteenth of an inch long, the largest of them. They thought they were paint, but they're attracted by a magnet. So they have what? A high iron content. So this is fascinating. Uh, they uh, look into it uh, deeper on the red layer, and they find through X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy the ingredients of thermite, iron oxide, and aluminum powder, right there in all these red-gray chips. What is the ingredients of thermite doing in these paint chips? Well, they must not be paint. They get real curious, zoom in 50,000 times with an electron microscope, and what do they find? Nano-sized particles, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair, of Iron oxide crystals, rhomboidally shaped, and aluminum platelets, flat. The ingredients of thermite at the nanoscale. That's incredible. Well, they're set in this bed of oxygen, silica, carbon, organic material, which is used uh, in TNT and other high-energy explosives to expand rapidly 
as they form gases and knock things over. Well, what do they do now? Uh, they find that the peer-reviewed literature in Los Alamos lab, Lawrence Livermore lab, uh, has documented super thermite and at temperatures at about 800 degrees in this fancy heater called a differential scanning calorimeter that these chips ignite. Well, what do you suppose that they do when they ignite? They issue molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found in all the World Trade Center dust by the USGS and R.J. Lee, an environmental consulting group that also did studies on the dust, and the EPA. So we know exactly where those microspheres came from, and the EPA and USGS could have known too if they were at all interested in finding out because they're issued from those red-grade ships when they're heated up to 800 degrees. See, this is very high-tech material, not made in a cave in Afghanistan. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right? Would we, be, only, would we uh, be able to look at that and tell what type of signature there is and see where it came from in terms of the nanothermite? Is there a signature that it leaves? All the signatures we just discussed. Is that what you mean? Or are you asking my, a different question? My question is like, like anthrax. We can tell which type of lab it was made in. Similar, oh. Is there a, same with nanothermite or is nanothermite well, just nanothermite? No, it doesn't have tagants. Sure. Which is what explosives have, the identifiers that tell you the source of the manufacturer. Because the FBI wants to know what, when things are blown up, where the explosives are com coming from. You can buy thermite on eBay. All it is is aluminum powder and iron oxide powder, which is essentially rust, mixed together. So, uh, no, it doesn't have those identifiers in them. But they've identified what it is by the way it behaves. Uh, and uh, with experiments, they found that the red layer is active, unreacted thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology. It's highly energetic and pyrotechnic or explosive material. This was documented in a 25-page peer-reviewed paper in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal. In 2009, we've had this evidence that long. I've been talking about it in 24 countries over 700 times and an equal number of radio interviews over the last 18 years. And uh, it, it, it doesn't change. So uh, the evidence is clear, concise, forensic. And the eyewitness testimony is quite amazing. In fact, we have submitted the evidence in the form of 60 exhibits, given them to the U.S. attorney for a special grand jury investigation. And we're uh, going to be uh, this summer submitting to them also the film series on the evidence, uh, episode by episode focused on the unique evidence with uh, a couple of dozen experts. We've already filmed them. And Mick Harrison and myself, he's the litigation director for the Lawyers Committee uh, for 9-11 Inquiry. And uh, he's laying out the legal case and uh, advising the grand jurors on what they can do with this evidence and, uh, and who they might ask questions of, uh, subpoena uh, for material witnesses and so forth. So anyway, this is film is post-edit right now. We'll, we'll be getting it ready this month and next month. And uh, people can co-produce it with us. Uh, and so we encourage people to take an active role in an unprecedented film series, taking hard evidence of 9-11 crimes to court. And so it's not just Building 7, of course, it's the Twin Towers. And so I like to look at both of the collapses together so I can show how identical they are. They had asymmetrical damage from the fires and the planes. And, and yet, each of them is identical with upward, outward arching streamers, a geometry of fireworks, freely flying structural steel sections, uh, trailing thick white smoke clouds, 
in all directions well beyond the boundaries of ground zero. We'll take a look at that, but I, w- I wanted to just point out wh- where we're heading here um, because we want to ask ourselves, for one, also, does the features of the Twin Towers' explosiveness have any of the features of typical controlled demolition? Well, let's start with the sudden onset of destruction at the point of plane impacts, not down low in the building like Building 7. But this is very different. Um, let's take a look. It, the building is standing still. And is there a sudden onset? Yeah, all of a sudden. It's in uniform downward motion. No jolt. No hesitation when the upper part meets the lower part. Let's look at the south tower. Same thing. It's still, and all of a sudden, it's in uniform downward motion. No resistance, or very little, from the cold, hard, intact steel below the point of plane impacts. We'll get more into this. What we're told is the upper part of the towers uh, above the point of plane impacts drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then destroyed itself. This is called the crush down, crush up theory uh, put out by Zdenek Bazant in this uh, incredible, incredibly complex paper that he submitted to the American Society of Civil Engineers in their Journal of Engineering and Mechanics, uh, when did they submit it? Two days after 9-11. Everybody else is freaking out. Who attacked us? When's the next one coming? Uh, you know, is Russia involved again? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've got, um, this guy's in his den. He's a mathematical <laughs> genius, a wizard, actually. Uh, and he's provided the theoretical proof in two days. Uh, which remains today the the, uh, the 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 calculated demonstration of NIST's claim that the top part drove the rest of the building down to the ground. Well, it violates Newton's third law of motion. There's an equal and opposite destructive force when two bodies collide, like this. Who wins? Uh, the Mack truck wins, right? This is intuitive. Doesn't matter if we drop the Volkswagen onto the Mack truck. Uh, the upper part is the lightest, weakest part of the structure. Can't possibly destroy the cold, hard, heavier, intact steel. Because as we go down, the steel gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. Until at mid-height, we got two-inch thick core columns, 36 inches by 16 inches. And then heavier and heavier. Until at the bottom, we're almost solid steel, 52 inches by 22 inches. It's a virtual pyramid, in other words. So the top part is not going to be destroying uh, this whole building. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. In fact, it doesn't. If you look at the top part, it's not destroying the bottom part at all. Let's look at it this way. Watch the lower red line. It doesn't move down for at least three seconds. The top part is telescoping in on itself. It's being destroyed. It's the Volkswagen being destroyed. And it's getting some help, not just from the bottom part, but from something else. Something else that causes this entire explosive event to look like an explosive event, i.e. the volcanic eruption in the Tongan Sea in 2009. Again, with upward, outward arching streamers, this geometry of fireworks freely flying molten solid objects trailing thick white smoke clouds, which we'll come back to. If there was an upper part, by the way, driving the rest of the building down, we'd see it. None of the photos, none of the videos show any upper part driving the rest of it down. If it did, we would, it would have driven down these few remaining core columns standing a thousand feet in the air for six seconds before they're attacked from below with uh, another set of explosives, which causes the whole thing to descend frame by frame through the concrete powder that's been shaken off of it. So no, it's not this because this, the, that those core columns are missing. It's really this, which is what we're showing is going on outward motion of the, co- of the, of the, uh, of the structural elements and, and even the concrete, leaving intact uh, for six seconds this core column. It's a very different theory, which accounts for all the evidence. 
that we have shown you and we will be getting into. Also, as we look at the uh, feature number two, is there witnesses of explosions that, that hear them, see them, feel them? Uh, let's take a look uh, at the oral histories commissioned by Thomas von Essen, the fire commissioner, uh, who wanted to have the stories recorded orally by his first responders within a month following 9-11 before they became reshaped by a collective memory. Well, of the 500 testimonies, now 186 of these eyewitnesses are witnesses of explosions. So let's just dive in and see a few of them. We felt the ground shake. You could see the towers sway, and then it just came down. All of a sudden, the ground just started shaking. It felt like a train running under my feet. The next thing we know, we look up and the tower is collapsing. It, it's like this order of events. Uh, they're, they're seeing, feeling, hearing this phenomena in most cases before the tower collapsed. It shook my bones shortly before the first tower came down. I remember feeling the ground shaking. I heard a terrible noise and then debris just started flying everywhere. I saw a flash, flash, flash at the lower level of the building. You know, like when they demolish a building? With each popping sound, it was initially an orange, and then a red flash came out of the building. And then it would just go all the way around the building on both sides. Saw a number of brief light sources being emitted from inside the building between floors 10 and 15. He saw about six of these brief flashes accompanied by a crackling sound before the tower collapsed. I saw low-level flashes. I saw flash, flash, flash. And then it looked like the building coming down. You ever see the professional demolition when they set these charges on certain floors? You hear pop, pop, pop. When I heard that friggin' noise, that's when I saw the building coming down. An explosion appeared at the very top simultaneously from all four sides. Materials shot out horizontally. And then there seemed to be a momentary delay before you could see the beginning of the collapse. See how specific they are? And these are expert witnesses, these firefighters. There was an explosion in the South Tower, one floor under another. When it hit about the fifth floor, I figured it was a bomb because it looked like a synchronized, deliberate kind of thing. It seemed like on television when they blow up these buildings. It seemed like a belt. It's going all the way around like a belt. All these explosions building was blowing out on all four sides. You actually heard the pops, you know? You heard the pops of the building. I thought the terrorists planted explosives somewhere in the building. That's how loud it was, a crackling explosive. Another loud boom at the upper floors, and then a series of smaller explosions which appeared to go completely around the building at the upper floors. And another loud earth-shattering blast with a large fireball that blew out more debris. The lower level of the building, you know, like when they demolish a building, that's what I thought I saw. Do you see any flashes? I said, yes. Well, I thought it was just me. He said, no, I saw them too. Everybody at this point still thought, I think at this point, everybody I think at that point still thought these things were blown up. So I was fully expecting anything else to blow up. You were there when the planes hit? No, I was there when the building exploded. You mean when it fell down? No, <laughs> when it exploded. Oh, wow. The witness is being led there. Uh, so feature number three, is there a straight down symmetrical collapse? Well, it starts out leaning to the right. In fact, it leans about in the South Tower about 22 degrees. So it's falling off the building. So it, it, it's got asymmetrical loading from this section, which is falling off the building. It's got asymmetrical damage from the plane. It's got asymmetrical damage from the fires. How then in the world do we get complete <laughs> symmetrical damage, floor by floor, traveling down all four faces of the building <laughs> symmetrically? <laughs> we can zoom in on the leading corner of these explosions in this looped video. Wow. What do we see? 
I see a dozen explosions timed right before my very eyes. This is not a nuclear weapon going off. This is not directed energy weapons. These are explosives, obviously set in the exterior of the building in this case. So how long was the molten steel um, present at the base? Um, How long was that present for? And why could that not have been caused by just the um, sheer, uh, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? The momentum and from the um, just the metal hitting against it itself. Why wouldn't that heat it up to that temperature? Well, three thousand degrees uh, is is what we've documented, and that takes extraordinary uh, uh, set of incendiary reactions, which we've documented the evidence for ignited and unignited. So first of all, if it was simply the friction, if you will, Mm -hmm. of the building coming down, um, you wouldn't have the evidence of incendiaries. Uh, And intuitively, um, you also wouldn't have these explosions that are traveling down the face of the building Uh, 20 stories ahead of what we're told is a pile driver driving the rest of the building down to the ground. So while it's theoretically possible for heat to develop in in a massive kinetic event, uh, what we've shown here is clear evidence that something else was at play. Can you speak to that molten steel that was found um, in the site of the Twin Towers? How long was that molten steel hot for? We have uh, NASA thermal uh, imaging of that uh, of the temperatures at ground zero on the surface of the pile, uh, uh, exceeding fourteen hundred degrees, uh, and uh, on the surface, indicating and there's no fire on the surface of any of the three buildings after the collapses. So there are much hotter temperatures down below that are coming uh, and rising and cooling off by the time they reached the surface. So they lasted three months. Uh, They didn't get the last fires put out for three months. They couldn't, they said they put a lake of fire on this thing. And that is absurd. It's absurd to assume that friction caused that heat and that molten steel, like that cannot be caused from the friction coming down. It had to have been caused by incendiary devices. Well, we have the evidence for incendiary devices. Uh, Yes. Uh, and, and, and it's not even intuitive uh, to imagine that uh, all this uh, kinetic energy could produce uh, tons and tons of molten metal. And, and, uh, and, and it wouldn't be molten iron either. It would be molten steel, right? What we have evidence of is iron, elemental iron. Steel, the major component of steel is, of course, iron, but it has other alloys. This is pure molten iron. Uh, not alloys of steel that the uh, USGS and many others find in all the World Trade Center dust samples. So we have uh, a feature number four, uh, these isolated explosive ejections, which are typical in controlled demolitions. And they're occurring uh, 20 stories down below the destruction, 40 stories down below uh, this uh, zone of destruction even 60 stories down below, uh, which have no uh, possible relevance in a gravitational collapse, right? Not cause, I mean, uh, something else is causing all of these isolated explosive ejections called squibs in the controlled demolition industry. In fact, we see them uh, in the South Tower off the left side, a dozen of them all at once in this looped video indicating perhaps uh, why the building uh, doesn't continue tilting to the right as a rigid body, uh, but with its uh, structural steel frame being destroyed from within uh, is no longer rigid, so it simply settles down on top of the uh, structure below. Uh, and, and so 
those would also would not be accountable for in a gravitational collapse because we're told that the upper part of the structure destroyed the lower part, but you can see it's destroying itself, the upper part already. Well, how fast is it coming down? David Chandler, physics teacher, documents that it comes down at near freefall acceleration. In fact, it's two-thirds of freefall. What does that mean? Freefall would be a bowling ball falling out of the sky. It's getting faster and faster each second, the definition of acceleration. What we have here is uh, almost that. It's faster and faster. It's not slowing down. Don't we believe uh, that all of this steel below the point of plane impacts would at least slow down the collapse if it could get started at all? It would slow down and stop uh, meeting the hundred, well, the 80,000 tons of structural steel beneath the point of plane impacts in the North Tower. Uh, there's more steel here than glass. This is an unusual skyscraper, actually. Extremely strong. The exterior perimeter structure section can handle 20 times the dead load, meaning the weight of the building uh, itself, plus the live load, all the people in it, and equipment. So it's an amazing uh, uh, structure with 47 massive core columns and 240 steel perimeter columns. Uh, it's not going to fall apart uh, 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 easily uh, whatsoever. In fact, what happened to those structural steel elements? They are ejected laterally, impaling themselves in skyscrapers all around the building, destroying uh, the winter gardens, uh, which is 600 feet away. So we have these laterally ejected, and as you can see here, freely flying, structural steel sections that are expelled from some explosive force. There's no other force that can expel these laterally. Like, look at this one. Whoa. Back to forward to back. How does gravity work? Down. What's yeah. happening here? Out. And then gravity begins to take over and you get a 40, maybe that's 30, 30 degree angle there. So that's a, a whole lot more uh, uh, force then can be accounted for uh, by a pile driver pushing the building down. In fact, it's enough uh, force to fire a 200-pound cannonball three miles, uh, and there's thousands of them. And they're all around the World Trade Center. In fact, they're, as we've documented, outside the footprint of the World Trade Center. If, if 100,000 tons of steel framing is distributed almost entirely outside of the footprint, what's crushing the building? Right. It's not there. That's like more than half the weight of the building. It's not available to crush the building. And right. yet it was used in those calculations by Zdenek Bazant at Northwestern University in Chicago. The it's, it's distributed outward 1,200 feet. The building's only 200 feet wide. The, dis, the, the, the distribution of these structural steel elements is well beyond the boundaries of ground zero, as you can see on the left, uh, destroying the winter gardens there. So we've got to ask ourselves, well, maybe it was the concrete because we had 110 floors of concrete in these buildings. Uh, an acre in size, each of them, four and eight inches thick, 110 of them, uh, poured on top of these lightweight steel trusses. Where are they? We don't see them on the left in the aftermath of the North Tower pile. We don't see 50 of them. We don't see 10 of them. We don't see one of them. On the right, we have a real pancaking collapse where we see pancakes piled up. And that was not a 110-story building. On the right, we should see 110 pancakes, or half of them. Uh, so it's missing. In fact, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. 90,000 tons of concrete pulverized in midair. All the photos, all the videos show exactly that. Pulverized to 100 micron average size particles. It's like baby powder. Something incredible happened 
to all this concrete. And it was spread throughout lower Manhattan in a blanket three inches thick from river to river. Well, wait a minute. If the concrete, which is almost the other half of the weight of the building, is spread across from river to river, how did it crush the building? It couldn't have. This is like more than three quarters of the weight of the building that was used in Byzant's crush down, crush up theory to prove that the upper part was so massive that it drove the rest of the building down to the ground. And yet there's no steel and no concrete in it. In fact, it was decoded, his wizardry paper, by engineers. And they found that he doubled the mass up above. He had to do that to get his mathematical calculation to show that it would crush the lower part of the building. He also had to decrease the column strength below by a factor of three. So the whole thing was rigged in favor of a collapse. It's absolute fraud on the part of Sedenic Bazant. In fact, they had to get rid of the evidence and easily the largest and most perplexing structural failures in history. We have 400 truckloads a day lined up to take this steel from the site, put it on the landfill, take it from the landfill, put it on barges, take it from the barges, and send it to China for recycling, starting just two weeks after 9-11. This is the illegal destruction of evidence in a crime scene, prompting Bill Manning, editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, to cry out, crucial evidence that can answer many questions is on the slow boat to China, showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop, but it didn't. And that's why we have such, one of the many reasons, we have 3,600 architects and engineers signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all of these uh, three skyscrapers We've documented it in some really good documentaries. 9-11 explosive evidence, experts speak out. And Building 7, the story about Leroy Halsey and the finite element analysis he did at University of Alaska. And the 15-minute documentary on Building 7 narrated by actor Ed Asner. All of this evidence is going into the film series that I mentioned. And people can co-produce this film. It is... Um, uh, quite uh, remarkable in, in the uh, breadth. It's the most comprehensive body of, of evidence we'll have ever put into the, this, this uh, massive movement, of the 9-11 truth movement, uh, into one uh, set of films. So the truth about 9-11 is darker than we may have wanted to know. But we got to ask ourselves a question. Where do we draw our line in the sand? Do we wait for the next 9-11, uh, which is upon us, by the way, in the last three years, and upon us again over in the Middle East? Uh, there's no stop to these false flag operations. Unless we speak the truth about 9-11, we will be haunted by a continuing series of mass psychosis uh, through false flag operations engineered from uh, global elites, and they're not going to stop whatsoever. Uh, in fact, we have, to, we have to look at, people think, oh, they have so much power, what are we going to do? Well, we're this tiny two millimeter high domino uh, in this series of dominoes, maybe, right? We don't have the money, we don't have the guns, we don't have the media to get the truth out like they do. But we have each other. And if each of us Boom. do our part, we can knock over. That was 13 dominoes. If I had dominoes. 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State Building. And wow. that's the deep state that we can take out. If all of us just talk to two people and ask them to talk to two people, share this podcast with 
two others. We can take our country back. It's not that difficult. It just takes an act of willpower on the part of all of us who are aware of the information. So I'm asking people not to sit on the information. Do what you can do so that your friends and families are not the last to know. What are you going to do when the deep state police state is fully in control of us to the extent that they want to be? Are you going to tell them uh, that you did nothing? Or are you going to tell them you did everything you could? Let it be the latter. Absolutely. I'm not going to be looking my children in the eyes in 10 years and saying, "Eh, I could have done more. That's just not me. I do have one question for you. So, uh, Building 7 collapses, but the BBC reported its collapse 20 minutes before it collapsed, correct? Yeah, they sure did. Uh, and, And they cite that it came down by structural weakening. But as this announcement is being made over Jane Stanley's shoulder... You can see Building 7 still there. It doesn't collapse for another 20 minutes. They apologize for this grievous error, by the way, citing the confusing events of 9-11. Yeah, where did they get their script? You know, where they had a script, obviously, in my mind. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But what a presentation. In my mind, it's, it's irrefutable, 100% evidence. I would, I would go so far as to say, uh, I would bet my life that what we are being told, the, the the narrative we're being fed, is a lie. I mean, would you go so far, Richard? Yeah, it's a lie. It's absolutely a lie. Um, if you're asking me. It's clearly a lie. We've we've been uh, fraudulently uh, manipulated with a series of lies from our government, from the media, from our own congressmen, uh, in addition to the White House. Uh, not. One of them, well, maybe one or two, has spoken up uh, to the extent that I guess they felt safe enough to do so. Uh, we have 536 members of Congress whom we've given this information to many times in the last two decades. Not one of them has done anything. So if you don't mind, I mean, I think that to me, what you just presented was evidence. So there's a lot that we must have to speculate about. Um, we know that they were brought down by controlled demolition. Who do you think did this? Well, we have to look at uh, a few things. Who had access to three of the most highly defended buildings outside the Pentagon? Uh, Security company, we have to investigate them. Uh, There are some very interesting, highly placed political members and family members uh, uh, on the boards of directors of Securicom and Stratasec, who had the security contract. We have to investigate Ace Elevator, who uh, had the largest elevator modernization in the world the nine months prior to 9-11, which could have given them access to uh, place devices and the core columns immediately adjacent to the elevator hoistways. Ace Elevator had this contract. They came out of nowhere to get it. Uh, Otis Elevator had developed, uh, built, and maintained these uh, elevators uh, for the life of this whole building up until this contract uh, came. And Ace Elevator employees fled uh, like rats, uh, and they didn't stick around to help the firefighters uh, rescue the victims and their experts in those delivery vehicles, the cabs, the elevators. Wow. When that was I've, quite a scandal, by the way, documented in USA Today. So uh, that's an important piece there. We want an investigation of, of ACE. When I first saw... Out, sorry, once again, they, they went out of business like after 9-11. They, <laughs> they, they disappeared again right where they came from. Go ahead. So when I first saw Building 7 fall, it looked exactly like a controlled demolition. Um, it's been so long since that date, and this movement ebbs and flows. Um, what type of groundswell are you seeing now in this movement? And uh, if there is anything that you could know, if like you could snap your fingers and you could have this tidbit of knowledge, what would it be? Well, there is a groundswell. Uh, COVID has woken a lot of people up another false flag fraudulent operation with problem reaction solution where the 
problem is is created with COVID. Uh, the uh, the solution, uh, the vaccine is offered, and it's far worse than the original problem. Just like all of the solutions with 9/11, where we invaded uh, 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 two countries and killed a million people, uh, and uh, with the Patriot Act, we've lost our civil liberties. Uh, again, we've we've got um, real problems, uh, and I forgot the second part of your question. Already. The second question was, um, what would you, if you could snap your fingers, what would you know? And w- when we look at this, we see, you know, what motivates me for nine eleven, and what seems to motivate you is, this was a sold to us that didn't happen the way that it was sold to us, and the aftermath of that is worldwide war and destruction. And that's what I seek to try to curtail. This uncovering the truth of 9-11 can lead to a global awakening of peace. So that's what motivates me. It seems like that's what motivates you. And the question was, if there's anything that you could snap your fingers and know, what would you, what would you choose? Oh, I'd like to be in some of those meetings that Dick Cheney was in. Uh, he, he gets his... Uh, Suspicious benefits for insiders, one of many who uh, did very well with no bid contracts worth billions. I'd like to be in his office, uh, as uh, most researchers suggest that he was uh, orchestrating this event. Um, uh, I, I'd like to know uh, who funded uh, all of this and, and how the money was moved. Uh, Corbett uh, Report uh, did an excellent documentary on this subject, 9-11 trillions, follow the money. Uh, that's key in getting to the bottom of who done it. Uh, a grand jury investigation can also do that, which is why we're making the film and we'll be tailoring it to and giving it to the grand jury members. Uh, and um, what else would I like to know? I'd like to know how um, uh, Dick Chertoff uh, and his, his technology for remotely flying planes, excuse me, Dove Zakheim, a comptroller of the Pentagon, uh, 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 I'd, I'd like evidence to uh, support the theory that the planes were didn't even have hijackers on them uh, and that they weren't the original planes that took off from their sources. Uh, I'd like to know uh, how Dick Chertoff uh, made so much money on scanners, which were implemented immediately following 9-11 uh, with the Department of Homeland Security, uh, requiring them in, in all the airports. Uh, so uh, he, the attorney general, uh, stood to gain financially uh, in, in, in the amounting to, to billions uh, from his business ventures. He was the guy who, you know, sent uh, the, these hapless Muslims who were framed as patsies for this event uh, to Guantanamo. And yet he's setting free uh, Israeli uh, Mossad operatives who were caught uh, dancing and holding a lighter up and photographing themselves with the Twin Towers being destroyed in the background live. They were there to document the event. He said so uh, following his return to Israel, one of these uh, Israelis. Yeah. And, you know, Silverstein and his contract and the insurance payout The when you follow the and then Corbett, too, with the 9-11 war games. There's just there's so much there. Um, I, I guess I we're almost out of time and unbelievable. You know, so again, we you know, 9-11 war games, Corbett, the trillions, all that. That's that's great information. It's necessary. A little bit speculative. There's nothing really proven. You need to put it all together. But what I, I think you just presented evidence. Richard, I mean, I, that is evidence in my it mind. Is. You know, that's yeah. that's the real evidence. And so I guess last question would be, do you think the truth will come out ever? Absolutely. Um, the, what the deep state and the, the min, their minions and their overlords uh, aren't able to take into account is the unseen hand of divine providence, which is guiding billions of people who are waking up. And when the deep state does their desperate moves like 9-11, and now especially 
COVID. Uh, they've given us uh, tools uh, along with the internet to spread uh, the truth, and it is spreading like wildfire. You know, it's not happening this week uh, or this month, but it will happen in the coming years. Uh, and I'm getting increasing quantities of requests for interviews doing uh, almost one a day uh, these these days, where before it was like one every couple of weeks. So um, I can tell by that set of metrics uh, that we're making uh, great progress. Though it seems slow, yes, it's been 20 years. Um, it will not be another 20 years. It will not be another 10 years. It'll happen in the next two, three years. I love it. I love that optimism. You know, we've been with JFK, all this, that's still, that's why I ask, you know, because will they ever get to the bottom of JFK? But you're right. COVID woke so many people up. This is the age of true enlightenment. And I I love that you just said that because I pray I've got little boys and we need, we need truth. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with Richard? I would like to make sure that, that people don't sit on this evidence after you process it. And it took me weeks and weeks to process this when I first heard it from David Ray Griffin on the radio in 2006. I was simply shocked at this information, a lot of which came from him and Stephen Jones and Niels Harrod and Kevin Ryan, some powerful 9-11 researchers. Uh, I've consolidated uh, the best of this evidence here and and uh, it is packaged uh, for people to send out. So if you sit on it, uh, you will not be deserving of the victory that we are sure to have. And we may not have it without you personally. What a great message. Thank you so much, Richard Gage, for joining us. Remember, everybody, you can follow Richard's work at richardgage911.org. That's Richard, G-A-G-E, 911 org thank you everybody for tuning in to the truth expedition don't tread on me and don't shed on me